I do not like owning a home. Can I just say that? Uh, everything that comes um, with owning a home. Uh, cleaning the gutters. I cannot stand cleaning the gutters. I do not like cleaning the house. I do not like fixing toilet issues that come along in the house. You name it. Everything that comes along with owning a home, I'm not a big fan of. Because there is work involved in owning a home. And when you own something, you have to take care of something. And when you own something, not only do you have to take care of it, you have to maintain it. You think about it. And each and every one of us, in different ways, at different levels, and in different places, we have thought about what it means to take care of those things. Maybe it's in our childhood. And you always wondered why you had those kinds of chores or you had to take, do this, take the garbage out, do these kinds of things. It's because owning a home requires work and effort. It, makes, it requires us to maintain and pay attention. And owning these kinds of things and paying attention to these kinds of things can be played out in various areas of our life, right? We can think about this kind of thing in many different ways of our life. Um, being an adult that works requires effort and intentionality to maintain a career, to maintain the work or the requirements that you have upon you in your line, uh, in your field uh, of business, right? And so this idea of being people of intentionality and work is very important as we get into Matthew chapter 16 this morning, because you need to know something. You are not going to like what you hear this morning. You are not going to like not because of what I have to say, but because of the words of Jesus Christ himself, you are going to push back on what he has to say. And I don't care what brought you here this morning, and I don't care what kind of, or how you might describe your relationship with Jesus Christ, you might, you might say you were on fire for him, and you believed, and you, uh, you follow, and you listen to everything you say, and you may have come here reluctantly. And whatever you are on that scale, you are not going to like what he has to say. Because what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 16 changes everything for the person who wants to understand what he is saying. Forget that if you believe he's the Messiah or the Savior or the Son of God in any way. What he has to say requires us to think and to ponder and to question and challenge. And what he has to say pushes up against everything that you and I believe or think or want to believe and think. Because he is asking us as people, as followers, as listeners of what he has to say to be someone who puts in the work, the effort. Someone who pays attention to their own home, their own house, their own lives, their own career, their own family, play it out in many different ways. Which is why, uh, as, we, as introduction into Matthew 16, I want us to pay attention uh, to this idea. This is an idea that I, that I have spoken about, I've played out in many different ways uh, last week and this past fall. But it's important for us, Christian or not, to have a blueprint for life. So much so that we tend to live life or we can be easily caught up in just kind of living a day at a time, right? We, we, we just kind of uh, just fly by the seat of our pants. We just kind of go with the flow. We just kind of see what happens. And Jesus, in particular, comes in and he actually provides a blueprint, he provides a graphic representation of what life could look like 
in your world, in your days, and where you find yourself today. And that's exactly what a blueprint is. It's a, it's a graphic representation of what is to be, to be built. If you're going to build something, if you're going to, uh, from Ikea furniture to a home, you need a blueprint. You need to know what is going to be built or put together, and the blueprint provides the, the graphic representation of what you are trying to do. Jesus says it this way as an example in Matthew chapter 7, picking up in verse 24. This is the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The very last thing, His invitation of this sermon is this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a mighty crash. And what Jesus does, in particular, in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, is he begins to provide a graphic representation of what can or should be built in our lives. The previous three chapters in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are Jesus' sermon to a crowd. And what he is saying in the last few verses of his sermon in his invitation, Matthew 7, 24 through 27, is this. You build with intentionality, and I have shown you the blueprints of what life can look like when you pay attention, when you see the representation, and you build as one who is wise or as foolish here. And so as a young church, as a church, the Heritage Church of Christ, we ought to be people, a church, a community that builds with purpose and intentionality, and at times wrestle with the hard stuff. And be challenged by the hard stuff. And be pushed by the hard stuff. Because our goal is not a building. It's a home. A building would be nice. Right? A place that we can call our own is nice. But remember, owning something is a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. There's going to be gutters and grass and broken pipes. There's going to be holes in the wall and there's going to be things that we're going to have to deal with. But if you want more than a building and you want a home, we're going to have to deal with the hard stuff. Which is why I bring up Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Because looking at the blueprint is important. Paying attention to the graphic representation to which we have before us in Jesus Christ is incredibly important. Which is why in Matthew chapter 16, I want us to remember these things because in Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, Jesus has this to say, this incredibly difficult thing to say. I'm going to build out the context of Matthew 16 in a few moments, but I want you to hear what he says, 
He says to his 12 disciples then, and he says to the disciples of this very day, to those who want to hear, those who are paying attention, wherever you may fall in your relationship scale with God, people need to hear this. And this is what he says to them in Matthew 16, verse 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Now, Jesus talks to his 12 disciples in particular in this moment. And he wants his disciples to understand something very simple. Their calling to follow them requires intentionality, work, and effort every single day. Let's put it in 21st century terms. You don't get to like his tweets. You must actually live like him. And so what Jesus says here is more than just, well, you get to follow. There's actually an effort or there is a blueprint being laid upon them to be people who live in such a way that it's hard. And so it's not just, well, come follow me. It's you must work at following me. Three things I want to point out very quickly here about following. Because that's that's the main idea. In these two verses. Okay, disciples, you say you're following me. You say you believe me. You say you're a part of, of this mission and this effort, this ministry that I'm, I'm, I'm living out, that we're doing together, Jesus might say. You, you follow me. Here's what following me is. My observation is three things here. Following is putting self last on the priority list. Now make sure you hear that correctly because we might just change that if we could, right? Putting self last on the priority list. Now each and every one of us have some kind of priority list. Now maybe you don't have, literally have it down on a list, but you have a priority list. A fun little exercise to do is to take out a sheet of paper or get on your phone and write out all the things that you have done in the last week or last month, last two days. See where your time and your energy and your efforts are. See what has taken up your schedule, your energy, your thoughts. Pay attention to those kinds of things because there you will find out what your priority list is, what your priorities in life are. And the thing about Matthew 16, 24, and 25 is when Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. Jesus is saying this. You are not first on your priority list. Your desires, your dreams, your hopes, your, uh, your uh, extracurricular activities are not first. In fact, they are last. There is a slew of other things that need to be paid attention to before you get to yourself, which is completely countercultural to the world you and I live in. We are told to take care of number one. We are told to make sure you, we are comfortable. 
We are told to make sure that your happiness is a priority in your life. This is why we can justify to, to no end in our, in our lives, in our culture today. We can justify anything today. We can justify why we do this, or why we leave this person, or why we're going to do this instead of this, or why we're not going to talk to this person, or why we should shun that person, or cuss out that person, or not be in that person's life. We can justify anything, because in this idea, when we justify these kinds of things, what's first on our priority list? Self, my happiness, my wants, my needs. Self-centeredness is the cancer of Christianity. And self-ism will be our downfall as individuals, as a church, as followers in the kingdom of God. And when Jesus comes in and he says, you know what, you say you're my disciple, okay? Denying yourself? Are you taking up the cross? Because those two things come first before you follow me. That following starts with putting ourselves last on the priority list. Secondly, following is doing hard things. Following is doing hard things. You, you and I are not conditioned generally, and I'm speaking generally in a lot of this, but you and I are not very well conditioned to do hard things. We have this thing in our house called Alexa. You know why? Because it makes things easier, right? We have a thing that we have a company that delivers within a day because we want things quicker to make it easier for us. When things are going hard, we try to change the system altogether. When things are going difficult for us, we try to change the context, change the environment, change what we're doing or change what is going on so we don't have to be involved in difficult or hard things. And Jesus says, actually, you know what? My people, my disciples, my followers do hard things. Like, I don't know, deny themselves and take up a cross. Now, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is... Is, is prophesying and foreshadowing to what is to come in his life, taking up the cross. Because later in Matthew, and, and in Jesus' life from, the, from Matthew 16's point, Jesus is quite literally going to be forced to carry a cross to his own death. After he's beaten, and after he's humiliated and insulted, they're going to make him carry an enormous piece of lumber up a hill, down the road, and up to where they will nail it into the ground and then eventually nail him to it, he is saying you must be one who is willing to go through it all, to the hard things of life. You must be one who's willing to put yourself last on the priority list so others are first, and that means doing hard things. See, we try to get rid of people. We try to shoo hard people and hard situations off to the side. We try to, we try to keep them out of our, of our line or our, our daily path, out of our daily walks. We try to keep the hard people and the hard things away from us so that we can make things a little bit easier on me. And taking up a cross is anything but easy. That's what following is. And then thirdly is this. 
You know what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, and 25? What he says is a bunch of nonsense. And that's following Jesus. You ever thought about it this way? Being here by a lot of people in a lot of places and a lot of contexts would say this makes no sense. Taking a little piece of bread and drinking a little bit of juice and coming in and singing to God and, and listening to Scripture, people would say this is nonsense that what you are doing and participating in. That this is a nonsensical, doesn't make sense. You are living a fantasy. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, what he has to say here, and I'm guessing in some form or fashion, a lot of us are probably pushing up against what Jesus has to say because what he has to say, we don't really want to embrace because, well, it's nonsense. Deny yourself. Meaning other people come first. Other activities come first. Take up your cross. A person who's willing to sacrifice. Be with the hard people in the hard situations and the hard moments of life. That's not a doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's what following Jesus is. It's nonsensical. And that's what Jesus calls us to. I mean, listen to verse 25. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will find it. And he's, it's like a riddle. And Jesus is saying, that's what it means to be my disciple. You live the nonsense life. You live the life that doesn't make a lot of sense to the world because you don't live by the standards or the customs of this world. You live by the standards and the customs of the kingdom of God. And, that's, and that kingdom requires us, pushes us. It, it kind of gears us up for being people who deny ourselves and take up our cross every single day. I'm telling you, I had a difficult week this week. I didn't like reading these verses over and over again. Because it makes us pay attention to what's going on. If you own a home, I'm sure you have thought about on numerous occasions, you know what, it would be really great if we... Uh, if we remodeled that bathroom, right, Douglases? Or you know what? It'd be great if we added on here. You know what we should do? We should scrape the ceilings, because that sounds like fun. You know, there, there's a lot of things when you own a home. It's this idea of, of always improving, making better, and remodeling. And I think Matthew chapter 16, 24, and 25 in a lot of ways is Jesus with his disciples and with us today is saying, you know what? It may be time to remodel your life. And more than that, we need to let the cross remodel our lives. Let the cross remodel your life. If you want things to change... Or if you want to restructure how it is currently, you are remodeling 
you're forming and you're shaping or you're looking to do so. And I am suggesting here this morning that you allow the cross of Jesus Christ to be what remodels your life, to be the, the, the standard to which you do, to, to be the one. Now, we're still at the beginning of this new year and this new decade. If you're looking for new habits and new ways of living life, if you've got these resolutions that are going on and maybe you've already stumbled in them already, then I want to suggest to you this morning that whatever it is, whatever power, whatever system, whatever app, whatever book you are reading, it pales in comparison to the cross of Jesus Christ. If you want life-changing model, if you want a life-changing model, look no further than to the cross to which Jesus dragged up the hill before they nailed him to it. And he gave up his life on it for you. This is Scripture. I mean, this idea of being someone who remodels your life, this is Scripture in a nutshell. It is filled with people who restructure, remodel, reform, reshape, change lives because of their God and because of their Savior. Think of Abraham. Abraham's 75 years old when God calls him to leave everything he knows and to go and to start a new nation. Moses is 80 years old at the burning bush and he's a murderer when God calls him to change everything in his life. Saul, he's in his late 20s, early 30s. He's a convictor, a killer of Christians and Jesus calls him on the road to Damascus to change everything and to become Paul. Noah, Rahab, the woman at the well, Zacharias, Peter, a paralytic, a demon-possessed man. Every single disciple Jesus calls. Remodeled lives. Changed lives. Now I want to back up just a little bit. Matthew 16. Because Jesus, in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, what he has to say, take a, a, deny yourself, take up your cross, then you can follow me, because if you want to save your life, you'll lose it, and when you lose it, you'll find it. Those two verses come out of this particular context that I think makes this, doesn't make it easier. Let me just be honest with you. Because in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus is with his disciples, and he asked them, well, I'm curious, who do people say I am? And the disciples, they, you know, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're a prophet, some say you're John the Baptist who's come back. This is what people are talking about. They're trying to figure out who Jesus is. And then Jesus goes, well, what about you? You 12 guys who follow me and walk with me and listen to me and live with me, who do you say I am? And you get this sense in the text, in Matthew 16 and in Mark chapter 8 in particular, you get this sense that when Jesus asks, what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter has this burst of energy. Because not only does he know the answer, he's excited to share the answer. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, Simon Peter answers this, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes on, and he says, you know what, you're blessed because of your answer. I'm paraphrasing the next few verses. The world will be changed because of your confession, Jesus will say in the next few verses. 
You will change the world because of your confession that I am the Messiah. The next few verses, Jesus goes on. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, immediately, think about the context for just a second. Who do people say I am? What about you? Well, you're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. And immediately out of this, out of this great confession that Jesus reaffirms in the following verses, 17 through 20, and Matthew 16, verse 21, Jesus has this to say. Out of affirmation, out of confession, Jesus says this. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Great. You've called me your Messiah. You think I'm the Son of God. You've confessed that and I affirm it and I bless it. Here's what your Messiah does. He denies himself and he takes up the cross. And he's going to lose his life because it will certainly be found three days later. Next verse, verse 22. Peter took him aside. Very next verse. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. And I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I'm going to be raised. Very next verse. The same guy with energy and conviction who made the confession that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. God forbid it. This must never happen to you. Now, if one of the twelve who are living and walking and breathing with Jesus are having a hard time hearing this, can you imagine the difficulty that you and I often have in allowing these verses to transform us, to remodel us? Peter wants nothing to do with this kind of Messiah. He wants power and he wants fame and he wants a king on the throne, but he doesn't want a life changed because of a cross. Verse 23. But Jesus turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. For me, you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Verse 24 Then Jesus, to the rest of the disciples who are clearly listening in on verses 22 and 23, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will find it. It's really hard. But I want you to know a couple of things about the cross that can remodel our lives. It reveals the heart of God. The cross reveals 
the heart of God. I love this quote by a man named C.A. Dismore. There was a cross in the heart of God before there was one planted on the green hill outside of Jerusalem. The cross is everything because it reveals the heart of God. The reason Jesus is willing to carry his own death up to the hill and to be nailed, literally nailed to that cross is because God's heart is in that cross. Because God's heart is for you. His love is for you. He cares for you. And this cross reveals Him. My oldest, she's in 7th grade now, but many years ago, almost 10 now, 3 years old, we were living uh, in a different place, but I can't, I, telling this story and from memory, and, but, and I didn't ask her if I could tell this story, because she was 3, so I'm assuming she's okay with this. But when she was three, I came home and she had a, go ahead and show this. She had an empty, she had an empty uh, bottle similar to this. It might have been a little smaller, but it was just a... And she had taken uh, different things like water and soap and she put several things in it and she made her own mixture. She was so excited to tell me about this. She, uh, she comes up to me and she goes, Dad, 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 I have this. It's called Sappy Sap. Oh, sappy sap. Okay, tell me about sappy sap. What does sappy sap do? She goes, well, when anyone is hurting, this fixes it. And I could see, because of her actions, her heart, her desire, her hope, this little three-year-old who put together this little bottle and put all these things and together and called it Sappy Sap revealed her heart to me and that's exactly what Jesus does on the cross. He doesn't just tell you He loves you. He denied Himself and took up the cross for you. And lastly, the cross provides the path we walk. If you want to let the cross remodel your life, it will reveal the heart of God to you, but it will also provide the path that you are to walk. This isn't on the screen, but in Galatians 2, verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. What is Paul saying in that first clause? He says, I have denied myself and I have taken up the cross and it's not me that lives. I know my path. I know my way. I know where I'm going because the cross has revealed revealed itself to me through the heart of God. It's Christ, he goes on to say, that lives in me. Now see, Paul sees the cross of Christ as more than just the heart of God, but as the way to which one lives because of the heart of God. It's the path to which we walk. 
It's more than the foundation. It is the redemptive work of God himself. He wants every single one of us to not just simply adore the cross, to wear a cross necklace, to have a cross maybe on the back of our car, to, you know, come to church every now and then. He wants the cross to shape us and to remodel us and to change us and to form us in ways we never thought we could. And we do that when we go down the path to which we never thought existed or knew existed or was there before us when we deny ourselves and take up the cross. Um, okay, so a couple of months ago, my last story, and I'm, and I'm ending with this story. A couple of months ago, Thanksgiving uh, weekend, we're on our way back. Um, all of our family is in Dallas-Fort Worth. So it's a, it's a Saturday, and we're heading back north on I-35. And you can imagine, and especially in various parts of I-35, it's not fun. A lot of traffic. And so we are in one of those not fun parts on our drive home on I-35, heading north home here. And it's, it's, it's standstill to the crawling traffic. And I notice, I'm, as I'm in the left lane on I-35, I noticed the guy off to the right, I thought he was reading a book in traffic on I-35. I was like, Lord, look at that. Lord, look, look. And, and as we came up on him side to side, show this picture, this man is reading a physical map. When was the last time you had a physical map open and you were getting directions from the map? Now, some of you may do that, which is great, but this is beyond because I got the Google. And it tells me what to do and where to go and how to do. I don't even think about it anymore, right? And this guy, uh, I, 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 so wanted, I so wanted to roll down the window and talk to him uh, on I-35 and ask about this. And Laura said, you know, don't make fun of him. So I'm not making fun of him because I am genuinely astonished. And I like, revere this, I think, in a lot of ways. Because what this guy is doing is exactly what I think we must do if we want to be people who take the path of the cross from the heart of God. Is we ought to be people who are not just, well, going blindly with the directions to which are handed to us. We ought to be people who open up the map and see what is around us and pay attention to the surroundings of what we have and make a decision of where we are going. Because as a disciple... As a disciple, as one who is listening to Jesus, some form or fashion, we ought to be people who pull out the map and see the path to which we are called and go in that direction. Let, please let, the cross of Jesus Christ remodel your life.